Yo, what is going on? And welcome to Can We Talk About This with Murphy Wells. I am, of course, him. He is, of course, me. And if you didn't know, well, you do now. And there is no intro to this episode. Unlike episodes in the past where a no intro episode has been about something traumatic that has happened in the past or something I was really, really pissed about and I just wanted to be straightforward about, today's episode is a little different. And it's a little different because, on the one hand, it's me offering a response to a question that was offered to one of the little question box features I did on Instagram. I put something up on my story and someone, you know, responded with something. So this episode entitled Fear actually has a double meaning behind it. But the other thing is that this episode is not inherently as down as those other episodes. In a lot of ways, this episode is going to make me sad in retrospect. But it, it's also going to ultimately make me very happy because I think a lot of people get me mixed up for someone who doesn't experience fear. Because I'm so unapologetic, because I can be so brash, because I, you know, created the identity of him, the joke behind all that. And for everything that I've been through and everything I've shared with you guys and will continue to share with you guys, you know, I, I still get scared a lot. I get scared. I get anxious. I, I find it hard to wind down. And so today is not only an opportunity for me to hit on everything that I've been going through and that I've been afraid to tell you, but it's also the next step in my evolution as whenever this thing is that we call life. That's really what I'm choosing to see it as. And so the context behind this episode, everyone, is that my good friend Erin that I've mentioned in the past, she responded to one of my question box features on Instagram. The question was, hey, give me a topic to talk about for the podcast. And she brought up a situation of a friend of hers or someone who she knows, this was a while ago, who was going through some really hard medical times. And that this person was really just down on their luck, was really, really down on themselves. And they just needed some some positive talk about how to deal with fear. And I'm not someone who deals a lot with medical issues myself. I, I personally take really, really good care of myself. When you do 75 hard, you obviously have no choice but to do that. But the thing is, is that I don't know what it's like to be scared from being sick. But at the same time, I don't really have to. Because fear is a response to the unknown. It is anxiety and it's the induced ominousness of this void and that which we do not comprehend yet, it could be anything. And we choose to go to the worst case scenario. Now, I don't know how devastating this person's results are, but what I would tell you is immediately is that we're all afraid of something. It could be very, very big or it could be very, very small, but everyone has their Achilles heel, as they say. And for me, I want to tell this person you don't have to be afraid because quite honestly, you're going to get your answers to whatever it is sooner or later. Instead of being afraid, which often paralyzes us and keeps us where we're at, you have to be willing to move forward towards something. Now, maybe you can't physically move out of bed. All right, I, I can definitely understand that. But you can move your thumbs probably. Maybe you can work a phone. Maybe you can type on a computer. Maybe you can read a book. Maybe you can write. Maybe, maybe you can do something that doesn't involve just sitting still and forcing yourself to accept things the way that they are. Now, I could be totally off base. I could be totally out of touch. And I understand that in a lot of ways that doesn't help. But really, with fear, that's all it is, is the response to the unknown. We like to dress fear up like a scary movie. We like to dress fear up like it's something that we have coming. No, that's not it at all. If something scares you, it means there's something important tied to the context of that fear. Maybe it's your health. Does it scare you enough to treat your body better whenever you are out of the situation you're in, if that's how it started? Does it, does it scare you enough to tell your loved ones you love them a little bit more often? Does it scare you to say that maybe you've outlasted something, or maybe you haven't been giving something your all, or maybe you're distracted? Or was fear just your reason for sitting there? Now, that's not in response to this person who's in a, in a bed. But a lot of us like to say, well, I'm scared. I'm scared to do that. 
well, I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter if you're scared, you have to do it. And so when I think about how I deal with fear, I have to think about what I was afraid of back in the day. I mentioned that I, I, I'm going to write a book and I started writing that book yesterday, a little introduction. I, I, I have so much to add to this thing. I don't, I don't see how this book's not going to be like 300 pages already. I'm pretty excited. When I think about what scared me when I was a little kid, it was the dark. So I kept the night light on until I was about probably eight years old. It was something that I knew all the other kids my age didn't do anymore, but I was too scared to sleep in the dark. Why? I don't know what's in there. I don't know what's under my bed. I don't know what's waiting behind my door. I don't know if my mom's really in there. These were all things that went through my head as a kid, but eventually I got to a point where just having a nightlight just, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't matter. After so many nights of sitting there wondering what was going to happen after nothing happened, I, I had just faced it. I faced the dark and I've been waking up ever since. As a teenager, I was scared of being embarrassed in a lot of ways. Like as a teenager, I was like really, really scared of being rejected. So I acted out in my own weird little way. I acted out as a guy who pretended that he didn't want to be accepted by people, but ultimately I did want to be accepted. I, I was selfish in that pursuit. And in a lot of cases, I didn't learn to love myself till very later on. Instead of saying, maybe it would do me some good to learn from some other people who seem to have an easy time fitting in. I'm just going to be weird and do my own thing. And that's just going to be that. Now, I'm very proud of who I am. And I am very, very proud of my peculiar attitude and my peculiar nature, if you will. But all the same, I was scared of being told, no, you can't hang out with us. So I turned my back on everyone. It wasn't until I found a group of friends that really I wanted to be around and they wanted to be around me that I started acting a little less odd. I started growing up a little bit. I started really liking fitting in. And then once I fit in, I was scared of being everyone's little brother still. Most young adults my age, just about to graduate high school, in high school, in college, early in college, mid-college years, those years, you're, you're trying to figure out who you are. But the biggest thing you're going to do in those years is be scared to find out that you're not just like everyone else, especially me because I was in a fraternity. I was somebody who I was like, yo, I'm going to wear Sperry's, I'm going to wear the polos, all that shit. I'm going to drink Natty. But at the end of the day, I was still a guy who liked to drink Henny, smoke blunts, sell bags, go to the club. I was scared that who I really was in a lot of ways, I didn't even know anymore. And then I was scared to apply myself. And then I did that. At the end of all of those different segments of fear, what I learned is the fact that I was scared to fuck around and find out. And oftentimes I self-sabotaged myself for one reason or the other. I often held myself back from getting to where I needed to be because I let fear move me in the other direction. And that's a very awful thing to figure out for yourself. It really is you versus you. Fear is you versus your own mind. It's your mind playing a trick on you. And quite honestly, I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm done letting fear play tricks on me. And something that I was ultimately really, really afraid of, going back to rejection more than anything else, was that when I decided to leave Springfield, I was scared that there was something else out there for me that I would really have to apply myself. That I couldn't just get around saying, well, well I'm on probation. Oh, well, I don't have a college degree. No, no. And so I did really invest in myself, not just with the gym, not just with the books, but by taking chances that, quite honestly, the average person around me is most often too scared to take. I knew that there was something great for me. I just had to be willing to go there and see what it was all about. As someone who was really new to the fitness industry, you know, I'd been lifting for a couple of years. You know, I was strong. I was determined. I had a decent transformation. But... This industry is full of people that have been doing it for a very long time. Believe you me, that imposter syndrome said I, I talked about not too long ago, 
<laughs> I deal with it too. But when I got here, when I came back to St. Louis, after I said I would never do it, I found that I had an opportunity to make something of myself here that I didn't have anywhere else. I wanted to get out of St. Louis my whole life because it was all I'd ever known. It took me until I was 19, 20 to really go out of state on my own. That was like my first spring break. I went to Florida with a bunch of my friends. And all the booze and drugs you could ever fucking want at that age. I had driven to Colorado so many times in college. And I had driven to California and I had seen all the states in between and I had driven to the South and I, I had done so much for some of my experience that the idea of going to St. Louis just felt so small world. The opportunity that's here transcends anything else that I'd ever experienced. And it wasn't just the fact that I got to work for Andy Frisella either. It was all the people who had the same idea that I did. We all gathered around the, the, the notion that average people can do great things. We all gathered to be with one another. Much like me, there had been dozens of people, just about 100 people at that time, who took the leap of faith to say, this is a force that I really, really do believe in, and I'm going to be a driving engine behind it. When I got there, I was somewhere between I don't belong here and in fan mode. It was so hard to figure out who I was probably in the first few months. I was scared that I wasn't going to make it more than those few months. And the truth is, we, we sit and joke on this podcast about all the times I almost hit Andy with my car. No, well, it was just one time. Let me, let me back up. It's just one time. But all the times we've talked about on the podcast, it's, it's, it's a very defining moment of my life, believe it or not, because I couldn't just let bygones be bygones. You know, I could have just sent Andy the message, been like, yo, my bad, bro. I didn't necessarily have to go up to him and say anything, but I did. And that wasn't all. There was another conversation I had with Andy very early on in my career after the whole almost hitting it with my car incident. And it was that when I got there, I bugged that man as much as I could without him telling me to leave him the fuck alone, which quite honestly, I would have told me to leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> I'm serious. I was so curious. And because I came from a situation where I was the one person who was developing on that level. I was doing the personal development stuff. I was building discipline. I was learning that it was better to not just be a guy who pays taxes and dies. I thought that meant something, but it didn't mean anything. And so it might've even been the same day that I told him, Hey, my bad on that. And he told me sweet mustache. I was scared to admit it, but I said, Hey, Andy, he, he was walking by one day. I was, I was squatting in the gym. I said, Hey man, I really need to apologize to you about something else. This was that we weren't even really close yet. He, he barely knew who I was. I said, Andy, you know, man, I shouldn't have asked you all those questions. I asked you because the answers are there. I just shouldn't be coming straight to you. They gave me a look and I said, wow, you figured that out, huh? And what he responded and what he said to me was, hey man, that's a big step. Those people don't get that. It's not that I don't want to tell you these things, but he goes, all the, the guys who have been around me for any amount of time, those are the guys who are going to teach you that stuff. I don't have the time right now just to take you aside one-on-one, -on -one, but you're becoming more aware, and uh, that's really good. I respect you for that. It scared the shit out of me to sit there and admit to Andy that, you know, maybe I thought I was special for some reason. When really, when I look back on those days, I feel incredibly entitled. I didn't want to be a warehouse guy. 
I didn't want to admit that I wasn't okay with where I was starting out, much like anyone isn't okay with where they start out at any journey. But that day, be it the day I apologized for was hitting with my car or be it the day that I, I admitted that I was stepping a boundary that I really had no room to step, I built some character because I faced my fear. And I would continue to face my fears. I faced the fear of continuing to work there for $12 an hour as a warehouse guy who almost hit 80 with his car. And my parents weren't thrilled about it if I could be 100% serious. My mom actually jokingly said at one point, she goes, you should go work for the railroad. I'm like, mom, what the fuck do I know about railroads? I know about pre-workout. I know about protein. I know about lifting weights, but I don't know nothing about that. Sorry, not going to happen. And it scared me to tell my parents no after how much I fucked up my life. It really scared me. Who was I to tell them anything? They have perfect credit. They have more experience than I do. But they didn't do what I set out to do in the circumstances I set out to do it with. It's something that when you figure out what it is you really want, you don't look at the obstacles as obstacles. You look at those as opportunities. And so when the pandemic hit, I was scared. You guys got to understand, my parents are, they're, they're a little bit up there in age now, comparatively. For reference, I'll be 30 next month. My mom was 32 when she had me. My mom is 61 right now, and my pops is in his 80s. When they started releasing that this thing was pretty devastating to people who were above the age of 60, that scared me. It scared me that all these businesses were shutting down and the world was seemingly stopping and that, quite honestly, there was nothing I could do about it. I was scared that I moved back to St. Louis for nothing. This happened right after my 27th birthday. Coming up on the three-year anniversary of that, there's that thousand days again. But my fears were mostly alleviated because the day that COVID hit, which was March 16th, 2020, I believe, when all the shutdowns and all the lockdowns happened. I remember Sal Frisella getting up on a table and saying, here's the deal, guys. We don't know what this thing is. We don't know what it's capable of. We don't know where it came from. We all thought it was a big joke. It's not a big joke. So the deal is we're going to work 10-man shifts. We're going to work around the clock. We're going to make sure that everybody gets paid full time. We're probably only going to work 25 hours a week. But with that, the show goes on. And you guys still get to eat and live your lives and all that. We do not slow down production. It was the most amazing thing. It was the most amazing thing. Because as the outside world started to really lose its fucking mind, people double and triple masking, people losing their fucking wits about themselves, talking a whole bunch of shit, calling people grandma killers, a whole bunch of other details that I want to get into. First form was like a little piece of paradise. Like, yeah, we still had precautions. We washed our hands a lot. We wiped down surfaces. We, we minded our distance. You know, we didn't wear masks. There were some people who did. We didn't tell them not to. We're just like, hey, that's cool if you want to. We're not gonna. But it was a place where people were acting normal. And I loved that. And it, it gave me, it gave me the courage to keep pushing myself. Because I remember Andy said, in this time, a lot of people are going to get worse. You better make sure you're getting better. I had just gotten done with my first round of 75 hearts, so I jumped on again. And I studied for my NASM. And I studied for our in-house examination all at the same time. And on the back end of all of that stuff, that first year of COVID, I got moved into a new department. Cody Klein, who tested the fuck out of me, said, dude, I had my doubts about you. But you really, really surprised me. And now it's about to get way fucking harder. He didn't lie. That man does not lie. He made it really hard on me. He knew how much I admired him. He knew how much I looked up to him. And so he challenged me as far as he possibly fucking could. Something went wrong. Fix it. I ask a stupid question because there are stupid questions. I don't care who you are. He would let me know. That's a stupid fucking question. I would bother the fuck out of him whenever I had time. He would tell me, do you know what taking initiative means? 
it scared me to, to, to disappoint him. I love that man so much. Cody, one of the greatest people who I've, I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Because for all of that, he also would take me to Kansas City and Chris Klein's tricked out sport bus. We'd party, we'd kick it, and we'd bro down, listen to the company meeting on the way back. <laughs> he never really scared me again after that. It wasn't that I was scared to disappoint you anymore, but it was that I was scared I wasn't going to live up to what it is that you wanted from me. I knew, I knew that I was still going to do things to piss you off. And to this day, I would like to admit that that's probably never changing. With all this in mind, you eventually gave me the opportunity to move up a level. It's the next little slot of what we do. I got a lot more responsibility. He introduced me to someone really, really cool. A little version of you was Jack Celeste. Jack, I, I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but if you do, I will have you know, you never really struck fear into me, but I never wanted to disappoint you either. You're one of the most kind-hearted, business-savvy, well-intentioned salespeople I've ever met in my life, Uncle Jack. I would spend the next year and a half of my life really as your disciple. I wasn't so much scared of you being angry at me or you yelling at me, but I was scared of falling at this point. Only a couple of years earlier, I was making probably less than $30,000 a year on paper, serving tables, managing, prepping, cooking, busing, all that shit. Now here I am, I have a livable wage. I was making the most money I ever did legally in my life. I was learning how to sell the right way. And I was learning what it meant to build relationships with the people who you work with, both internally and externally. I was scared that I couldn't keep track of everybody. I was scared I was going to let people down. And about this time, I really do think I started to let people down. Can I give you specific names right now? No. No. But basically between 2021 and 20... But basically between 2020 and 2021, I talked to so many people. I... I can't tell you all the different people I talked to, so the odds are I probably fucked someone's shit up somewhere. I I started coaching. I didn't fail. Not big enough to get fired anyways. Coaching is its own bag of wins and fails. And it's one of these things where when you really get to know people, when you really, really get to know people, you talk to the same people day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, you're going to fuck up with those people. And you're constantly in fear that this fuck up is going to be the fuck up. You learn how important your reputation is and you learn what it means to have positive word of mouth spread about you. And in other words, you also learn what it's like to have negative word of mouth spread about you. Coaching for the last two years has brought me some of the most unique experiences I have ever, ever had. I have coached some people who have helped me discover who I am, some of those things that really scare me about who I am. I've coached people who, quite frankly, even did me wrong. I still love them. And honestly, that scares me. There's a Marilyn Manson quote. When you're taught to love everyone, including your enemies, what value does that place on love? It's a good one. I don't know if I'd call this person my enemy, but you definitely fucked up, brother. But I think we could both live with that. Koji was that position that when I got to first form, I looked at it as the top of the mountain. The creme de la creme of this place do this. And now I'm doing it? What fucking business do I have coaching legionnaires? I was never a legionnaire. I figured it out. Sort of. I did the best I could. I've, I've always just gone into things with the idea of, I will figure it out as I go. I'll wing it, for lack of a better word. But winging it, just saying, hey, I'll wing it. I'll go to first form and I'll be a warehouse guy. It got me three different levels of promotion. I became good friends and a formal student of my biggest role model to date. I met more people. I traveled more places. I, I did more things than I ever thought I was capable of. Andy's in-house transformation challenge, I was one of the seven finalists who he said gave absolutely everything. And then he made me tell the story about how I almost hit him with my car. I gotta let that trope die one of these days. I really became so invested in what first form brought to my life that I thought there was no way I was ever going to go anywhere else. Not after they took care of me during COVID, not after all the opportunities, 
not after all the free trips to Kansas City and Daytona Raceway for the Rolex 24, not not after that, not after all the trips to the beach, not after all the all the events we worked, not after all the summer smashes, not ever, no, no, not after, not after I got to meet Andy and become his friend or Sal and meet his family or, you know, call Cody my dad or any of that stuff. Like, I'm never going anywhere. But the truth is, all you can focus on is today. And oftentimes when you think of tomorrow, you have to tell yourself something to let that fear of the unknown, to let that creep back down for a little bit. It was never completely gone. And it was specifically after this last summer smash where my foundation began to shake a little bit. There were a series of events in my life that really brought me down. And I would bounce back up for a little bit but in the background, I was always down. I didn't show it very much. Sometimes you could tell I was aggravated, not just regular aggravated, but just like chronically aggravated. But I wouldn't talk to anyone about it. Not much anyways. The thing was, is that at about three years in, I, I started feeling my, my interests going other places. And when you go back to episode, I believe it's 11, no half sentence, that was really the first time I felt uplifted after my, my foundation had been shaken, after some doubt had been introduced. There were a lot of people who came before me in first form that weren't there anymore. These are the people I saw as lifers. These are the people who I saw were going to come in and change the world. They were the people who led by the example for me to want to get to where I did in the department. A lot of them weren't there anymore. Some of them I really looked up to and admired too. And much like, much like visiting my college town, I realized that time touches everything. It's undefeated. Things change. People change. People leave. And it hurts. It reminds you that this is all temporary. The week I gave my first public speaking event out in Nebraska, I bought my house, and I had my first festival experience, what I hoped to be many of them, too. I realized, and I've told my leadership this at first form, that... For the three years that I really did invest in myself, just being locked in that building, and I mean I was locked in that building, and it was of my own choice, too. There's, a, there's an episode of Andy's podcast where he actually refers to me. He goes, I see him here on Saturday. What's he doing? He's on the phone. I see him here on Sunday. What's he doing? He's here on the phone. He's working out. He's, you know, he's building his career. That was me. I would be in first form headquarters every day. But when I really started getting out and traveling, and really when I picked up a camera, it scared me because I liked it so much. I'd like to believe I have a unique style of videography. It's what I keep getting told. I jokingly call myself Cinematic Murph, but it was something about picking up that camera and going to travel, especially to EDC Orlando. There was a point in November, and if you don't know, you won't know, November in Missouri is fucking cold, dude. Now, if you're up north, it's way colder where you are. I don't fucking care. But fuck, for the Midwest, it gets cold in this bitch. It was the last day of EDC Orlando, and I was sitting there in a really nice hotel room with a few of my friends, and I was editing content from the night before. And everything from the way I was dressed, to the fact that I was editing content on my vacation, to this baller-ass raving festival, to just being surrounded by good people who I was having a good time with, the idea crept in my head, and I said, man... But I wouldn't give to do this full time. Now, I'm not going to act like the next idea scared me because the next idea didn't scare me. Then the next idea was, I'm going to go to this fucking festival and I'm going to party my fucking ass off and no one's going to stop me. I'm going to get it all on tape too. This video is going to move people. It was amazing. It was fucking beautiful. And when me and Matt, Mark's brother Matt, were on our way home, I looked at him and I'm like, man, this was the coolest experience of my life. And he was like, bro, this was fucking lit. I spent the entire flight editing content. I wanted nothing more than to post that reel and to show people what I had experienced. And for the next three months, I had some of the most horrible times of my life. I got into an awful fight with some family. I fell in love with someone who is on the other side of the country. And I wasn't producing at work anymore like how I was in the past. Firstborn had enveloped so much of my personality that the thought of failing at it at this point 
it made me think some really, really dark things that I'm not going to probably say right now because that's not the point of this podcast. I love everything about this company. I love everything about how it has helped me conquer my fears. My fear that the people who I look up to might not be real humans. Andy Purcell is the most genuine, most real, most honest, most blue-collar human being there has ever been, bar none. It eliminated my fear that I would never succeed in the corporate world. I did. I made more money legally in one year than I think I ever did illegally. Maybe not extrapolated over some circumstances, but I digress. I did succeed in the corporate world, at least at the level that I was at. I'll take that. It helped me conquer my fear that maybe I was just full of shit. That maybe all the personal development stuff that I had been preaching for so long, you know, maybe I was actually made of that. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no doubt in my mind I made of that. But the one fear I couldn't conquer was that maybe my story didn't end with first form. Times are hard for everyone right now. Our government is ran by a bunch of fucking morons that don't know how to fucking do a goddamn thing with money. And yes, there's sinister intent behind it. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. But there is so much wrong with our current purview of life. And it affects everything. That affected me. My relationship with work affected me. My long-distance relationship was something I really wanted to focus on. It was becoming increasingly hard to say that I had other things that I wanted to do that I really had to taper down because, quite honestly, first form was my first priority. I told my girlfriend, I said, hey, just so you know, I'm very much in love with you, but I'm also very much in love with what I do. And I go on record all the time saying that they will have to fire me or kill me. But finally, I get to tell you that I've conquered my fear of that. And I'm obviously still here, so I'm not dead. And no, they didn't fire me. But if you're listening to this right now, I no longer work at first form because I quit. I have been so scared to believe that there's anything else out there for me now. And with starting my own business paradigm, I had to admit I was a foot out. I didn't burn my ships. I didn't go down fighting or whatever. Starting that company well, yes, it could have been a great side business to help pull me out of debt or give me a little extra money or whatever. I realized that when it started to actually do something for me, that that was my opportunity to do all of those things that I envisioned in that hotel room and scared me to tell somebody. So naturally, the first person I told was unimportant because they gave me the straight up truth. They said, you've done so much here. There's so much still to do and only gets better from here. To which I believe all of those things are true. I know I'm leaving a legacy at that place on the table, but I wasn't happy with my effort anymore. I wasn't happy with how I was feeling. I wasn't happy with how I was conducting myself. I wasn't happy with a lot of things that I was bringing to the table because I knew they weren't my full effort. And as I revisit that I worked in the first ever S2 for all of three weeks, ask Wes Osborne, I left that position because I didn't give him my all. Well, just because you have been giving it as much of your all as you can for three years, that last half of years really matters. And not just because you're afraid you're going to get fired. But because you know there is something you could be giving 100% to. And over the last week, I have edited more content. I've had more conversations about what I can do for people, helping build their brands, shoot for them, coach them up a little bit on things that I'm pretty savvy on that they're not. It is so scary 
to admit to you guys on this podcast that the reason I always said they'll have to fire me or kill me is because I wanted to believe. I wanted to believe that there was no way I'd ever leave. I self-sabotaged myself by telling myself that. Now, I'm glad I stuck it out as long as I did. And for those of you who are just now finding out, I'm sorry that you're finding out this way, but to be completely honest, would you really expect anything less from me than to make it a story? That's my one talent, storytelling. I love everything about first form. 85% of my closet is first form clothes, quote my friend, Babe Tyros. I love everything about that building. I love my specific seats in the auditorium where I would sit next to Jack in the morning with her department meetings. And I'd sit next to him and Cody up top at our company meetings. I love those jujitsu mats. And no matter how many times I got triangled or armbarred by Madat, I love those guys. I love that turf. And all the times Jared Bond kicked my ass and some kind of work out on it. Fish. I love my desk with the American flag sticking out of it. The fact that I got a desk. I love that I sat behind Brittany Landers for over a year and that she was my teammate and that she always pushed me. And she always tried to get me to see the positive side of things. I love the Lamborghini and I love the Porsche walking by them every day. I love the fact that I could walk by Ryan Riggle's office and do this stupid thing we do where we shout each other's name. We'd bother everyone around us. It was our own thing. I love that I could walk down the hall and dab up Andy Priscilla, who I went from being this annoying kid who almost hit him with a car to being a guy he talked about on his podcast. It would take time out of his day to tell me that he loves me and that he's my friend and that he knows what's best for me. I love that I would walk by Sal's office and I would pass him. He would have this inside joke where we just call each other doctor because he's Dr. Sal. I love that fucking gym, which is honestly not just the best gym in the Midwest, but it's the best gym in the country. It's not the world. I love that I could walk by Andy's studio. I love all the people. I love the Legion Airs. I love the sponsored athletes. I love Summer Smash. I love Fall Fest. I love all of it. And that place, that mission, and those people have done nothing but good for me. It is so hard. And it is so hard to leave all of you, even if you are right here in St. Louis. In a lot of ways, I feel like I failed because I have decided to resign from my position. But as I told leadership, I'm not rowing the boat right now the way the boat deserves to be rowed. There are young, young people in that place that will do 10 times as much as I will. Guys like Shane Lowry, who is one of the most incredible transformations you would ever, ever see in your life. Guys like Eric Kohler, who is already a stud. And I told you today, bro, you're the, you're the future of that place. I meant it. Guys like Sully, first in the house athlete. Probably the most insane athlete I've ever seen in my life, short of Chaz. But I'm not just making a joke as Chaz is short. I wish I could go to the list. It's talked about everybody who impacted my life. Will Grumke. You're the most disciplined human being I know. You're also one of the kindest people. 
Aaron Summers, you were like the biggest brother I've ever had in my life. And even though you scared the shit out of me at times, you've done so much for me. My entire department is full of the most amazing, good-hearted salespeople who are not perfect. None of us are perfect. We did great work together. And now I get to be scared about not failing in my business. Because the truth is, as I leave first for everybody, I'm going all in on me. I'm taking all the things that Andy has taught us through his podcasts and through his entrepreneur sides of things where he educates us, like the Arte and the company meetings and all the great free content he gives away and all the things Sal has taught me and all the things Jim has taught me and all the things Aaron and Cody and Will and Jared Connell and all these guys and Jared Bond have taught me. I get to go do that now. And the fact is, is if you would have asked me how far I would have made it, I'm a weekend and I didn't think I would have made it this far. And that's the truth. Is that with my podcast, much like with my coaching, I've always led people to believe that they were capable of doing great things. But the thing was, most of those people were too scared to listen to me. They didn't like to make things hard on themselves. They were too comfortable where they were at. Acting comfortable, for lack of a better word, lately, everybody. Oh, I can't do that now. I have things I have to prove to myself. And before I close out the episode, I would like to say this. If you are someone I have not got to tell yet formally about leaving first form, I'm sorry. We will talk about it. Life moves really fucking fast. Especially if you're someone who makes appointments with me. I hope we can still do that to some capacity. I don't know how or when. But if you're someone who I've coached over the last two years, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I am more humbled that anyone has ever listened to me. And for the people who actually trusted me and who I'm loyal to, your success means everything to me. For all my coworkers, everyone who I've gone to war with for the last three and a half years, you are going to do amazing things should you decide to go to that level. It's not going to be for everybody. But I believe that that force that employee force, that workforce, the legionnaires and all that, that's going to change the world one day at a time, one good meal at a time, one workout at a time, one day at a time. I'm really dead set on setting myself up to do all the things that I'm a student of, entrepreneurship, media, brand building. And now I get to really, really fucking send it now, maybe when I ask Andy for solo questions, I won't feel so entitled because I took that next step, even though it scares the fuck out of me. Going all in on my brand and going all in on my business means a few things, though. It means that, one, I kind of get to take some of the filter off now. As much as I love first form, well, there's a public image to be upheld there. Well, now I can be a little bit more unadulterated. To tell you the truth, I am glad I didn't do an intro song on this episode because I might even revamp the way this podcast goes. With my media business, my Instagram is largely going to be focused around that. A lot of cinematic reels, a lot of short films, a lot of content for other people. If you need content, let's talk. I want to help you. I really want to help you. Not just make you videos or shoot photos or put together cheap little graphics or any of that shit. I want to teach you something. I want to build a relationship with you. I want to do such a good job that 
you say, wow, why wasn't he doing this sooner? And I'm really going to live my life. And whoever is willing for the ride, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being my audience. And thank you for giving me someone to talk to. I love everything about my life. I love what I've done for the last three and a half years of first form. My only regret is I didn't make it five years. I wanted my boots, damn it. <laughs> and to anyone who is afraid to take that next step, what the fuck else do you have to lose? I've decided to send it in such a way that quite honestly, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. But I also don't care. I'm doing the things I have to do to secure the future that I want. As I've said time and time and time again, I'm coming for everything they said I couldn't have. Because I'm in. And that's that. <laughs>